This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, superheroes around the dial from ABC to WWE, Hellboy in Hell, the secret behind the six, reptilian hijinks, comics, video games, and a whole spectrum of nerdiness, and maybe even a cameo by James Vanderbeek. Okay, probably not that, but we got a fascinating look at gamifying your life, a lovely panel of nerds, and some decent conversation, all in the mighty Major Spoilers manner. The only way the show would be better is if there were two of them, and then Steven would be mad about extra editing. So sit back, grab something to drink, and hang on tight, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Hi, everyone. Welcome to issue 639 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this podcast with a friend, because the more people that know about this show, the more people that get on board with our conversation, the more fun we can all have. And speaking of fun, later in the show, I'm going to talk with Dr. Um, what is his name? Uh, Dr. Roger Altazir uh, from the University of Utah. And we're going to talk about gamification, which kind of ties into the conversation that we had last week about making exercise fun. And I loved all of the comments that everyone posted in the uh, the uh, comment section for this episode because I found it very fascinating. So I think you're going to enjoy this uh, idea, this discussion of what gamification is, where it's being used, how it's being used uh, later up in the show. But first, let's talk about some news. Anybody watch uh, Vixen? It's on the CW Seed today. Not me. Oh, man. This is the animated series. So a lot of people are like, what the hell is a CW seed? That is the <laughs> CW. That's the uh, CW's online presence for short media, video content, original content stuff. And it was promoted at San Diego Comic-Con. I think it broke a little bit before San Diego Comic-Con about an animated series based on the DC Comics character Vixen, who is set in the um, Flash Arrowverse, for lack of a... Uh, yeah. And if you haven't had a chance to watch it, it's it's going to be an ongoing uh, series, but it's only they, they serve it up in five minute chunks, which I was a little disappointed in. I was hoping for a whole 20 minute episode. But uh, here we're introduced to Vixen and uh, some of her powers. But it's really it's like the f- it's like the teaser before the opening of a TV show is really all it is. And I thought the animation was really good. I thought it looked great. Uh, I thought the uh, the actors are great. And, and if, uh, if you're wondering who all the actors are, just watch Arrow and CW because every single one of those actors has been <laughs> cast as themselves in this animated show. That's cool. Uh, the, and I don't know how to pronounce uh, the lead of the woman who is playing Vixen. I think she's got a great voice for this. There have been a lot of comments going on online about whether she would appear in the live uh, live action counterpart of herself. I don't know about that, but um, if you haven't if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's worth five minutes of your time, is what I will say. 
There are some troublesome tropes uh, that pop up here and there, but I will let you guys go and figure that out for yourselves. Is this a good is this a, a good way? I mean, we already know from other news this week about the whole Justice Society essentially invading the Flash and Arrow next season. But is this a good way to introduce another character into the uh, the the Flash Arrowverse? I think it's a really cool way to step up the way that the CW is exploring like media and the use of new media. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's about time that we got a female lead, and even though she's animated, that's something and a character of color. Hooray! Yep, yep, yep. yep. I'm a little bit worried about the accessibility to CW seed because even knowing what I know. And, you know, being kind of a not behind, but just to the left of the scenes guy at Major Spoilers, I still don't know how to get to CWC, whether I'm paying for it. You mean CWC.com? Yes. I believe her name is actually Echi Kunwoke. That may be it. Me- I don't Megal know how to Echi pronounce Kunwoke. it. Yeah. Yeah, because she was on uh, CSI Amy back when it was on the air. Mm. But Oh, is she the... Is she the uh... She the um, lawyer person that was the sister of the guy that got killed, and then uh, Redhead had to marry her. She is was Doctor Price. She was Doctor Price. Uh, hmm. She was the the new coroner who came in in like season six. Oh, that's probably where I. This is CSI Miami. Is yeah, the yeah, one yeah. with Dave, David What's yeah. His Face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I'm all for it because I think Vixen is a character who doesn't get near enough play. I think that Vixen uh, is both interesting and historically important for DC and Warner Brothers in that she was their first African-American female character. And I say African-American, although I think she may have been born in Africa and I get into that whole thing with the Black Panther and it's annoying, but here's the deal. She's not as embarrassing as some of the other characters who came out around the same time. So you can have Vixen without major alterations come to the forefront and have her be an awesome, cool character without the problems that you get from Tyrock or even, you know, Black Lightning. So I'm... Oh, I'm yeah, the really whole wig mask thing. I, I know where you're coming from. Not the wig mask. So here's thing. the thing, fact, Matthew. Fact, here's, here's the thing, okay? C- okay. CWC.com, uh-huh. free to watch. There you go. Why am I hearing that from you and not from CW? Because you could go to CWC and it says, watch right now. Watch Vixen take the Flash and the Arrow in the series premiere. You know I can't use the internet when we're recording the show. I believe in you. <laughs> Try it right now. Ryder, your thoughts? Let's see. Um, uh, well, I haven't been following the Arrow or Flash TV shows, but I'm a whole lot more interested in a Vixen animated show than I am in either of those. The cool thing about this is, and I think as animated, it works really well because in this sequence, at least in the first couple of minutes of, or maybe the first two minutes of the piece, uh, she is running away from the Flash and Arrow, and she's flipping through a bunch of her animal incarnations that would be incredibly expensive to do in live action just because of how fast she's moving and all the other things that they have her doing. I mean, this woman would be on in real life would be in a wired harness for like an entire week's production just to do that one to two minute opening sequence. So it'd be a really, really stressful to do that in real life. But you know, I've seen uh, other things happen, so who knows, but uh, it's definitely worth checking out. And uh, I would point everybody over to cwseed.com com to, uh, letter to see C, that. letter W S E E D. Uh, Mockingbird does finally get a pilot from ABC. 
So there was Yay. some rumors, rumors. Oh, maybe six to eight months ago, that Mockingbird yeah. was going to get a spinoff series from Marvel's uh, Agents of Shield, and then ABC was like, "No, we're definitely not doing a a series off that. You guys can forget that." But then uh, this last week, it was confirmed that ABC has ordered a pilot that will star Adrian Pilecki and Nick Blood in their um, Marvel counterparts of Mockingbird and what's his name? Yes, that's the name of the show, uh, Mockingbird and what's his name? Hawkeye? Mockingbird and no, she's no, not. No, no. Ha- well, he is essentially Hawkeye in Mockingbird's backstory. He's an agent of Shield, and I want to say I can't remember his name. In the comics, he's not actually an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., he's an agent of Strike. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. this backstory is the same. They used to be married, they broke up, and now they have this huge tension between them, and she's all, you know, hi, I'm super agent, and he's all, I'm kind of a schmuck, but I'm also English, so I'm not Hawkeye. Interestingly, <laughs> this is from Variety, it says, Insiders say the series is not a spinoff per se, but rather an entirely new project solely focused on the two characters can- to continue their story. What? That sounds exactly like a spinoff. We're continuing their story. It sounds exactly like a spinoff. So then the name of the uh, pilot at this point is called called Marvel's Most Wanted, Mm -hmm. and it will follow their adventures together. Mockingbird Uh, loves Chachi. That's a really cool title. I think it is, too. Lance. His name is Lance something. Well, Joni loves Chachi. Yeah. Right? Um, Right. Well, first of all, Happy Days was really an offshoot from an episode of Love American Style. Mm. Then you had right. Happy Days, which spun off Laverne and Shirley, Joni right. Loves Chachi, right. and Mork and Mindy. Yeah. Right. And probably a couple of other shows, too. But, there were a couple uh, that didn't take, yes. Yeah, there was a... God, there was one that was like one episode long, and I forget what the name of that one was. Um, didn't make it past that, but... Joni is lukewarm about <laughs> Chachi. I'd have to look and see what it was. There was one that was like literally... 15 minutes into the show, ABC, or ABC at the time was like, we're not running any more episodes blog. of this. Dude, they, they canceled Joni Loves Chachi and sucked them back into the main narrative. That mm-hmm. show that show tanked Oh, there's hard. a Cleveland show. Is that one of them? <laughs> Cleveland show. Is <laughs> yeah, the Cleveland show. And I want to say that they also did um, that one spinoff where the guy went to the thing and he had a face on his head. No, yeah. there was something about it was essentially, um, not Heaven Can Wait, but it was essentially like a... Uh, um, you know, angel coming back from, um, from the dead kind of thing, coming oh. to to help people's lives, and it was no, but it was kind of like that. But it was literally it was a spinoff from Happy Days that went for there's, one episode. There's like the rare rare reverse spinoff where there's a, a standalone show which gets canceled, and then those actual characters <laughs> go back into yeah. another show. Here, here, like uh, out of Munch the blue from uh, yes, out of the blue. That's what it was. Munch from uh, Homicide mm-hmm. getting yeah. going into Law and Order. Here are all the shows that spun off of Happy Days. Laverne and Shirley, Laverne yes. and Shirley in the Army, Carmine, yes. Blansky's yes. Beauties, Ralph and Potsy. That was a failed pilot, so uh. it was Carmine. Mork and Mindy, uh, Out of the Blue, The Fonz and the Happy Days Gang, and Joni Loves Chachi. I love Those all the sound Fonz like comic the books. Yes. Gang. The Fonz yes. and the Happy Days Gang was a cartoon where they traveled in time. See, this alien girl named Cupcake came to 1957 in a time machine and stole Fonzie and Richie and, and Ralph and also Fonzie's talking dog, Mr. Cool, right? And they traveled in time trying to get back to 1957 Milwaukee. Incredible. Row, everyone. Was, what do we think of Marvel's Most awesome. Wanted? What do we think of Marvel's Most Wanted? 
Marvel's most wanted. I'm kind we of. Think, I'm, we think that their shows that have been led by women tend to take off really well. Well, I mean, look at uh, <laughs> look at uh, Peggy Carter. Uh, yeah. Agent Carter was a really huge success. Yeah. I think more so at, at the fact. I, I in fact I would um, guess that Agent Carter did better in its run than Agents of Shield was doing at the time it went on the hiatus or the uh, mid season break to let Peggy uh, step in and do her action. But um, I if I were I don't know what's going on in uh, Adrian Pilecki's head, but it's like, oh, my God, you know, I've almost got two series confirmed and they're both canceled and I'm the star of both of them. Uh, that's oh going to put God, some kind right? of spin, spin in your head and tweak your head just a little bit. So because she got a lot of flack from Wonder Woman. Yeah. And then when she appeared on Mocking uh, as Mockingbird in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I know there was a lot of online flack about her going, oh, she's going to ruin this show, too. Ugh. And uh, she's so. Pretty good, and I think that their their romance is one of the better new elements of the show. Good, yeah, because they they play really well off each other. the The issue that I have with it is that the whole you know headbutting romance kind of back and forth, Mister and Missus Smith thing, may not work as the center of a show for long term because you get that Sam and Diane will they or won't I, they going I, on. I, I guess. Have you ever? Did you see any of the 19 seasons of Bones? Did you ever see any episodes <laughs> Isn't of Moonlighting? Still on? Probably. Yeah, Bones is still eventually, on. Eventually, the writers of Bones gave up, got them together, and then, like, immediately, like, the people were like, what? It's like, you guys have well, been Castle asking for this. What? Show. Yeah, Castle is the same yeah, way. Castle is yeah. the same show, actually. <laughs> Castle and Bones are the same show. They're basically sure. house with romance. They're a genius jerk. At the center of normal people, and then people fall in love with them. It's a thing. I have a whole theory oh, so about Sherlock. how shows are house. Yeah. There are hundreds of shows that are basically just house. Oh, sure, sure. So, yeah. you know. And, and it's called, uh, what was the show before house that was exactly like the house? The Sopranos? No. Um, <laughs> Sherlock. <laughs> Breaking Bad. No, because it was literally set in a hospital where they were trying to diagnose stuff each and every Diagnose day. as murder. General hospital. That's it. Um, no. Here's the thing. I think if ABC wanted to maximize potential of Marvel's Most Wanted, they wouldn't try to run a second, a, a, a full second series like they're doing with Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They need to do and maximize their audience the same way that the USA Network did with uh, Bruce Campbell's uh, series. As for uh, Evil Burn, Dead? Burn Notice. Oh, Burn Notice. Where you have Marvel's Agents of the S.H.I.E.L.D. in the fall, uh-huh. mid-season break, Peggy Carter, Back half, Marvel, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then over the summer, Marvel's Most Wanted, bring it all back around, and you've got that Marvel stuff going on all the time. Even though I am a big fan of a 52 uh, shows a year right. commitment, right. I would be okay with two 13 <laughs> chap. you know, like take, uh, take Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and make it two 13-episode arcs. Mm-hmm. So you got first season, second season, essentially in in one major sure. season. Peggy Carter gets a season, and then you got thirteen episodes of uh, Marvel's Most Wanted. Have them cross over at the points where they need to cross over. You get thirteen episodes out of all four of them. Boom! You've got enough, more than enough, to cover an entire. I year. mean, yeah, and it, and it is smart because you just keep it all in the same time slot, and mm-hmm. you know that you sit down on Thursday nights or whatever to watch Marvel stuff. Yep, that's what I would do. But again, I'm not running a major network. So and why not ABC? I don't know, yeah. because probably ideas like this sound too scary when people are like, well, no one watches television during the summertime, yet they have a whole slew of reality shows that do extremely well during the summertime because people are sitting at home because it's too freaking hot outside to go do anything. 
That's what I would do. I don't know. Ashley, what are your thoughts on that? Too crazy? Too too out there? To have a whole Marvel night? No. I mean, that's basically just copying the CW model with what well, no, uh, they're mean, doing for DC. Yeah, but making it that whole year-round thing where the you essentially got four mini-seasons in one year. I think that's a great idea. And then you never fall out of favor. You know, or, or mm-hmm. there's that whole out-of-sight-out-of-mind thing about television. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like with Game of Thrones. Everyone gets really excited about it, and then nobody talks about it. I yeah. think that from a marketing perspective, that's a really interesting idea. Although I do think you always run the risk of burning people out on it. Which well, and that's tough. why you have those nice breaks, because... Everyone was ready for a break from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Then Peggy Carter came in and everybody was excited about that. Then it went away and the second half of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. happened and everyone was like, oh, let's have more Peggy Carter. Mm -hmm. Now people are saying, hey, let's have some more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Drop in a Marvel's Most Wanted in there with Mockingbird and and Lance. And then you have that that third thing that people can get excited about, very much like people got excited about um, uh, uh, Daredevil on Netflix and very soon Jessica Jones. And just I don't know. It's an it's an idea, ABC. If you guys decide to use it, <laughs> it is yours for the taking. I won't claim any uh, – I won't go on to any big media and say that was my idea and try to sue you for anything. But it's something to think about because <laughs> I really think that people are hungry for entertainment. People are hungry for something that they, that they like. And while you can't create a 52-week Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or you can't have 52 episodes of – well, you could have 52 episodes of The Flash and Arrow if you wanted to, because that would tie right into DC's marketing campaign. Um, while you can't do that, at least you're giving them something in that vein that they can that they can watch or TiVo or catch on Netflix or whatever, because people obviously want it. If they're demanding it, they want it. So you got to find a way to serve it to them. This is the thing, and I can, I'm going to say the two words that make Steven's eyes roll so hard he can see his brain. Super Sentai for the last 25 oh, years. Oh, I got something to say about that. 52 episodes a year. Each mm-hmm. year in February, they roll out their new series. The new people take over and they do a weekly series all year long. They do 50 odd, 51, 52 episodes of this show. And then the next season comes around and it's something entirely new that next year. I don't know if that would work in America. I don't know if you can even do that. You know, you may not be able, you may not have the the structure for that many stunt workers and production workers to do a, you know, a year with no break at all. I don't know. I don't know. But it can be done. It exists and it is possible to do because they do it year after year. I mean, I could, I could see it if it was, especially if it was three separate yeah, crews three separate doing shows. Right. three separate shows. But anytime somebody brings up a 52 week run of a show, I just say, is it? Is it because you want to see the the actors, probably the managing producer and a bunch of the crew just like disintegrate in a mountain of cocaine? Like that just like <laughs> it just seems to me like it would be such a strain. No, on no, no. People. I'm not saying I'm not saying we need fifty two weeks. I mean I I am saying that we need fifty two weeks of the flash. But I understand of the impracticality of that. But <laughs> if you had thirteen episodes of Marvel's Agent of Shield, thirteen episodes of Peggy Carter, 13 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., sure. then 13 episodes of Mockingbirds, Marvel's Most Wanted. I'm with you Boom, you're done, and you have just filled up your, your yearly time slot and let the cash roll in because you know you've got that Marvel crowd. You know that you're going to have those advertisers come in. You're freaking ABC and owned by Disney. Well, so it's like, hey, this is the smartest choice we can make, a, and we can change television even though USA Network did it before us. There's a long, proud tradition, actually probably a short, proud tradition, of mid-season replacements. Mm-hmm 
doing pretty well Mm -hmm. or doing excellently or surprising everybody and how okay they're doing. Right. (laughs) This would essentially um, remove that guesswork, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we are already planning to switch it up mid-season. So let's just do that, guys. Yep. So um, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Some thoughts on that. You can head over to the podcast posting page. Share your thoughts in the comment section. We want to know what your thoughts are on any of these or all of these or even something else completely different. We're okay with that. While you're over at Majorspoilers.com, be sure to check out the two interviews that Ashley did this week with the creative team behind uh, the Dark Horse Zodiac series. Zodiac Star Force? Zodiac Star Force, which uh, is out this week and I think is worth checking out. It looks like a lot it's of fun. It's so good. How good is it? So good. It is so good, ladies and gentlemen. So good. And you got that right from Ashley's mouth. Uh, also, I don't know, people ask me, you know, I've been talking about that DC Universe online, and people are like, oh, Steven, you ought to do a Steven's play. Okay, so I finally did one where I went and helped Batman fight the Joker. Yeah. And you can catch that now over on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, Major Spoilers. Did you do a uh, Batman voice the whole time? No, I didn't. I don't know which, I don't but, know which button to use. I'll give you. Which button's the battery? I'll, I'll tell you, there was this really cool moment at the end where Jim Gordon and I really connected because he's like, you know, even I'm here. Batman really relies on you, and it's good that he has you. Aww. So Jim and I really connected right there at yeah. the end. So we love you, insert name here. Uh, also, while you're over at Majorspoilers.com, check out one of our advertisers that you see. They've bought the whole uh, site wrapper and everything, Double Take. Uh, they've got a whole zombie series that kicks off in September. You might want to check it out. Click on their uh, on their links. See what they got. Some of it looks really kind of interesting. It's all set in the uh, George Romero Night of the Living Dead universe. Ooh. And if you're into that kind of thing, you might be into what uh, what they got coming in September. Uh, also, we've got that Amazon link. So if you're going to buy something, if you're looking to buy something for back to school, apparently everybody uh, staggers their back to school. So some people are Makes just sense. starting school this week, while other people have been in school for multiple weeks already. Uh, I'm I'm a, I'm also speaking of 52 television episodes. Huh. I'm also a big fan of 52 weeks of school. All right, so I'm a big fan <laughs> of of 46 weeks of school with a few breaks here and there. Sure. So there you go. But you click on that Amazon link, you can go buy a new PS4, so you can play DC Universe Online. Maybe you want to go buy a book. Maybe you want to go buy a new television so that you can watch the Blu-ray editions of uh, Star Wars that you're also buying through the, that Amazon link. We don't get a lot of money from that. But a little bit does come back our way and allows me to put some money in Rodrigo's pocket and Ashley's pocket and Matthew's pocket and Zach's pocket and Brian's pocket and Rob's pocket and everybody's pocket. Everybody everybody who helps out at Major Spoilers benefits uh, from you using that. So please help us out because that means that we can come back and do more of this the next week and the next month and the next year. So uh, we've been doing this for nine years. We hope to uh, do it for at least nine more. Have you ever been like uh, driving in like a street, like in a city you're not familiar with, and you make a turn, and then you end up in like a really bad neighborhood all of a sudden? Like I, that totally happened to me. Except I was in uh, at the store, mm-hmm. and I turned into the back to school aisle, mm, and it uh. was madness. Like seriously, it's like normal store. Accidentally turned there trying to get to the electronics. And I almost had my leg torn off. Oh, yeah, because people are buying all their back-to-school supplies. It is insane. Supplies. Buy them all through, through Amazon. Yeah, Save yourself do the that. hassle and trouble. I wanted to tell only, people that, but I barely escaped with my life. The only thing about having to go to the store to do that is because the schools will post their I did list see that. of supplies. I think that's genius that the, that the stores will do that. that oh, yeah. The stores will just take the, the list from the schools. That's Yeah, it makes it easy for parents to go do shopping. Yep. Of course, they can just go grab that list off the uh, USD website print it out and go to Amazon. That's what my mom does. She sends a whole package of stuff 
for the boys when they start school saying, well, I saw that at the school that they had these things, so I thought Aww. I'd send them along. Aw, oh, gee, thanks, Mom. I use the Amazon link, too. Aw, oh, gee, thanks, Mom. Uh, thanks, M- Major Spoilers, Mom. Major Mom. All right, let's get to some major reviews. Major Mom. <laughs> Well, it's better than Wasn't Major that Dad. Yeah. That was an old USA, yeah. USA no, sitcom. I think it was CBS. Oh, was it? Yeah, Simon? Major Dad, yeah. Had uh, Gerald McRaney in there from uh, Simon & Simon. Uh, reviews this week. Hellboy and Hell Number 7 is out this week. It kicks off a brand new arc called The Hounds of Pluto. It's a two-part uh, episode. And I tell you what, everybody's talking right now about how they want to see a Hellboy 3 movie. Well, you can't get better than having a Hellboy series written by Mike Mignola with art by Mike Mignola. Wow. So, first of all, that's that's a... That's pure, that's pure Hellboy I know, right? Pure uncut Hellboy. Then you go, and of course, (laughs) Hellboy gets a little trippy now that he's in hell. He's dead. And uh, he wakes up, and apparently there's some parasitic thing eating at his soul that he has to get Uh. cured from. Uh. So then these two dead doctors show up. He has to go to court to see this other doctor, and then the guy that's trying to put uh, the one doctor uh, away turns into a giant demon and is coming after everybody, and Hellboy has to stop him. It's trippy, because, number one, I haven't been reading the Hellboy and Hell series, even though this is a new arc. It seems like a good starting point, because if you just assume that it's Hellboy and Hell and he's waking up in Hell, then everything kind of makes sense from that. But suddenly you see these doctors go from having skins to the next thing you see all their underlying muscle structure and then he blinks again and then they're like skeletons having conversations and it flips back and forth through that throughout the whole issue it's 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 really psychedelic in the muted Mike Mignola color scheme <laughs> and it's a lot of fun it really is a lot of fun uh, you get some great Hellboy moments especially at the end where he has that all hell crap uh, moment that he has when he's facing about to face somebody that's probably more overpowered than him. It's got the uh, mysticism in there that I think a lot of people enjoy. It's really a good book. I think the only thing that I that I dinged it for was that it is a little bit confusing because this, again, as Stan Lee would see, everybody's first comic is a new comic, Excelsior. Uh. Um, I think comics benefit most when they have a previously in section, even if it's just a paragraph. I think that would help this book a lot. Um but I found it wonderful. And I say go pick it up. I'm giving it four and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. It's Hellboy and Hell number seven out this week from Dark Horse Comics. Go pick it up. Yeah. Matthew, what is happening with uh, Gail Simone's Secret Six? Have Secret we found Six. out uh, who Ralph is? Shh. Oh, wait. They actually called it out at the end of the book. Secret Six, number five. They called it out at the end of uh, issue Last three, issue, right? Actually. Issue well, three, they, two spelled it, they spelled it wrong in issue three. Well, yeah, but here's the thing. Secret Six number five comes out this week, DC Comics. Actually, last week came out from DC Comics. I was going to review it, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm incredibly busy. Um, but here's the thing. First of all, the alternate cover has Harley Quinn with a bra and a jacket. And I want to poll all of our female spoilerettes to ask, would you go out of the house wearing just a jacket over a bra? But secondly, I want to point out the one real negative the only real negative about Secret Six thus far, and that is the weird production delays between issues one, two, and three. Because there was this weird long break, and then two came out, and then there was a weird not-quite-so-long break, and then three came out. Three is the issue that really hooked me and locked me into this series. Last issue, 
we had a cameo appearance by some important Secret Six characters who aren't actually in the Secret Six anymore because it's a new Flashpoint universe. Or wait, the DCU. And we did discover that, yes, uh, Damon Wells, who has been in the book from issue one as Big Shot, is not actually a 40s super spy guy, but in fact, someone who idolizes Raymond Chandler characters and 40s super spy guys, that being the ductile detective Ralph Dibney. Yeah, the, one of the big hints was when uh, the Riddler comes on and calls him Mr. Dibney. And, well, and, and the other not, one is when he's like, I, I've, got a, I've got my nose starts twitching. I've got a nose for mystery, he says in one of the issues. That's, that's, neither of those are hints. Those are reveals. But yes, I'm with you on this. Um, big Shot, as a character, feeling like a hollow facade was one of my big complaints about issues one and two. Now that we know that he was supposed to, I'm like, oh my God, that was super brilliant. But because of that long delay between one and two, I went into two remembering, oh, one kind of left me a little bit less than whelmed. But this issue starts off with some really nice business. And of course, the first page has the line, red hot wieners for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> because well, it's, a, it's a barbecue. I, oh. like, I like the, it's, no, Weird Sex on the Couch was issue three. I like the breakdown of characters. I like the way they all interact. And I like the fact that basically Damon slash Ralph has taken these itinerant superhero or supervillain weirdos into his home and they're living in suburbia trying to stay under the radar. But the big reveal this issue is that, yes, Big Shot is Ralph and that Ralph is working for Mockingbird because Mockingbird has Sue. So, right there, Sue is dun, not dun, dead, dun. ladies and gentlemen. Well, Sue not in the was new not, 52, you. Sue was not horribly murdered in a meaningless, heartless, hateful, limited series of doom in this new universe. So right meaningless, there, the DCU, heartless, lucrative, limited series yes. <laughs> of doom. That changed the DC universe forever again. Hey, that's a really good story. <laughs> it is. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that later. Are you listening, Critical Hit fans? Are you listening to what Matthew's saying in this discussion of Secret Six? I like I'm just going to throw that out. I did not like Identity Crisis. Here's the deal with Secret Six. It's interesting. This finally gives us the backstory of why these six were chosen. This tells us, finally, flat out, who Mockingbird is. Although, if you've read it, previous issues, it's pretty obvious. But they say it in is this it Adrian issue. Adrian Palicki? Yes, it's Adrian <laughs> Adrian Palicki playing that same character that she always plays, Lady J, Mockingbird, Wonder Woman. Um, oh, no. I love that series. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, no, that, would be, that would be a good one. <laughs> That's why Kirby, some, right? Yeah, there's some action, there's some fighting, there's some backstory, and most importantly, there is a wonderful reunion. There's also a cameo by Scandal and Jeanette and Ragdoll, which gets me, you know, right there. I love Scandal and Jeanette. That's my favorite people in the entire universe. And, of course, the final page of the issue uh, gives us the implication that there's going to be a great big giant fist fight, but in the fist fight are little people with machine guns. So that could be terrible. I don't know. But I really kind of like this issue. And each issue of Secret Six grows on me a little more than the one before. And I think that may be a metaphor for letting a story, you know, breathe and grow I try to give books five or six issues before I wipe my hands and decide, nah, we're out of here. 
There was, you know, I gave Rob Liefeld's Hawk and Dove three whole issues before I stuck my head in a window and slammed it repeatedly on my skull. Be nice. Uh, what? That was nice. I didn't say the book was bad. I just said it made me want to crush my own head with a windowsill. Yeah. Uh, it's like in a good way. <laughs> Not in a bad way. You know, um, anyway. Three and a half slices of meatloaf for Secret Six number five. This is a good one. I liked it. I think that if next issue builds on it and we get the end of that six issue arc and the end takes everything that we've seen thus far and makes it even weirder and creepier and, and more untoward and, and kind of pervy, I think I'm really fine with that. So this, this could be the start of an awesome, you know, secret six thing where I don't go, well, issue one, I had worries about this is three issues in a row where each one has been better and better and better. One more, and we're in buy-on-site territory, and I think that's pretty awesome. So, yeah, three and a half slices of meatloaf. Excellent. Rodrigo, what's going on with those crazy uh, dinosaurs? Yeah. <laughs> Age of Reptiles, Ancient Armor Egyptians, Reptiles. number four of four. So this is the final one. This is the final issue of this arc. And this actually comes out September 2nd, so we can't give away too many spoilers. Oh, <laughs> minor spoilers. <laughs> we'll do some Despite minor Despite the title of the podcast. That's you know, right. the Cretaceous period. Well, all like I know is if, uh, you, just, if you read the end of the uh, email that we get each week from Dark Horse, they're like, uh, uh, uh. I'll just, just like what the Newman from Jurassic Park. Oh, tie in to H.O. Reptiles. There you yeah, go. Please continue. I'll just, I'll just <laughs> put it this way. Things are going to be very, very difficult for our Spinosaurus protagonist. Is it because they all become extinct? Uh, no, this one doesn't really deal with an extinction event. Oh, okay. Um, also, stop guessing the spoiler. Oh, sorry. But if I guess the spoiler, it's not really revealing the spoiler. No, I think Dark Horse sees it as the same way. Oh, okay. Sorry, Mike. Yep. I think it's the same season or 115 billion years. Yeah. Whereas the P the KPG extinction event was uh, 66 million years ago or something. <laughs> anyway. Science! Science! So, um, yes. Spinosaurus. This Spinosaurus is a theropod in a world he never made. Um, <laughs> surrounded. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. I'm not going to say it. Surrounded. Surrounded on all sides by enemy forces, other theropods and cr like crocodilians and sauropods. It's a very dangerous situation. But uh, basically, he does a a little shimmy move and uh things suddenly suddenly might start going his way but you don't know you don't know until the end um this will make you feel some feels for a frilled lizard monster um as usual with the age of dinosaur stuff the art is really fantastic if you want to see some uh lovingly rendered dinosaurs and other prehistoric beasties then this is the book for you and all in like really brilliant color. Um, as always in the age of reptile stuff, sometimes it's difficult to tell exactly what's going on on account of the characters being, uh, lizard Rep monsters, reptilian brain yes. dinosaurs, Liz lizard monsters who don't talk. There's no text in any of these, as you guys uh, might remember from roar? previous, uh, yeah, but there's no yeah, there's sound, effects. sound effects, right? You can tell that they're roaring, but you know, there's no sound effects. You know that you see that in they comics. They don't have like subtitles. It's, at a, the it's the silent right. film of comics. It is. It is. 
A big um, word balloon that says. Right now there. they are these creatures are very expressive. Their faces are very expressive, but you know a lot of them have you know your protagonist, for example, or what amounts to a protagonist uh, has a super long snout. So it's hard to make an animal that looks like a crocodile for all intents and purposes have a lot of facial expressions without making it seem cartoony. Uh, Age of Reptiles really walks that line and, and does it pretty well. Um, altogether, I'm going to give it uh, four slices of meatloaf. It is definitely worth reading, um, or I guess looking at, as the case might be. Um, again, if you're into dinosaurs, then uh, what Ricardo Delgado is doing with this stuff is is really fantastic. Excellent. All right. Thank you for that, Rodrigo. That's out next week from Dark Horse Comics. Ashley. Yes. I am very interested in this because um, I think when Ron Perlman was out on the media campaign for this, this is where he started talking about Hellboy 3. I think so. But I'm, I'm interested in what the, the Hand of God series is about on Amazon. Yes. So one of the cool things about living in Los Angeles is that you meet people who make cool things like Hand of God. Um, and so I had the occasion to go to the premiere of this new Amazon series and see the first two episodes. Um, episode one is out now on Amazon. Episode two comes out on September 4th. So you're getting it here first. Uh, what it is about is it's a series that stars Ron Perlman as a city judge. And at the beginning of the series, um, you see him naked in a fountain spouting tongues. So if, uh, Jesus is your jam, just know that there's some irreverent treatment of that material in this series um his family has undergone some tragedy his son is in the hospital for all intents and purposes brain dead and ron perlman is having um mental issues where he's hallucinating um i guess projected images that are religious in nature and he comes across this young ex-soap opera actor shyster preach guy um who's pretending to like build a church and build a cult following in downtown Los Angeles. And he uses Ron Perlman's character's funds to kind of funnel and build up this empire around him. And Ron Perlman through his visions is hearing his son tell him to avenge. um, I don't want to spoil like what happens, but to avenge what happened to him and to seek revenge for what's happened to their family. And so it leads Ron Perlman on a quest to do God's work to do these really, really despicable things in order to kind of fulfill this prophecy that he thinks he's been given. He thinks he's Saul and, um, Garrett Dillahunt, who was on, uh, justified Mm -hmm. and Deadwood. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Uh, he's his right hand man through this all. And he's kind of the criminal element of the show. He's really good. He's probably Gary Dillahunt's probably the best part of the show. He kind of steals a lot of the scenes. He was good and, in Deadwood, so if people know him from that, then he's got to be awesome here. He is, and he's playing that same kind of bad guy character. Mm. And uh, Dana Delaney, who was the voice of Lois Lane on Superman the Animated Series, is Ron Perlman's wife. And she's really the one who has to hold the family together. And she's trying to hold up Ron Perlman's public image as much as protect him in this kind of emotionally vulnerable time on what he's going through. And the show deals with a lot of really difficult subject matter um, in terms of religion and just kind of in terms of people's life. Um, There's murder, there's various forms of assault, there's lying, there's cheating, there's a lot of scandals on what's going on with the mayor and the city. And it deals with a lot of these big, big ideas 
Um, and in the, the pseudo true detective way, it drops in ideas about mysticism. And at least in the first two episodes kind of uh, lets the viewers decide whether or not somebody is actually hearing from God or whether they're actually crazy, you know, and, and people's kind of where you fall on that will let you kind of interpret that. I think it's really, really interesting. I like the way that it challenges a lot of these big issues that we're dealing with while still making a really interesting series. It's got that kind of Amazon Netflix look where you can tell they did it on a budget, but they mm -hmm. pull it off pretty well. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you could tell they probably had a limited shooting time, but there's a lot of shots that are really, really beautiful. The performances are all on point. Uh, there's a lot of swearing, so it's not for the little kitties. But if you want some thought-provoking entertainment that's just about to drop onto Amazon, I would definitely recommend Hand of God, and I'm going to give it five out of five slices of meatloaf. I, I saw the trailer for this, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I think. It's probably mm -hmm. when I was listening to somebody else talk about an Amazon series. And I got to say, if they were working on a limited budget, they do an extremely good job because I've, I've watched a couple of series that were Amazon originals, and I sit there and I look at them, I'm like, how in the heck did they greenlight this when it looks like mm. high school productions? Yeah. I would just say that because you're filming in a lot of the same locations. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a limited number of sets that they keep revisiting. And right. it doesn't feel super forced, but when you come at it from any, as being anyone who's ever worked like in production, you're like, oh, look, we've seen this church a lot. It's mm -hmm. because we built this set. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it does. It looks very good. So how many slices of meatloaf? Five. Five. Oh, all of the wait. slices of meatloaf. You're going to give it, I'm going to take it all. I'm going to go watch this show. Cool. And then we can do a retrospective on it. I think I saw your pictures. Was it the, was it your pictures or Jason's pictures on the uh, Instagram? Uh, probably Jason's cause I don't have Instagram, but oh, we did okay. get to, we got to meet Garrett Dillahunt, which was mm -hmm. probably the most exciting part of the night. And he plays. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know him from, um, from Deadwood, he plays the guy that shoots, um, uh, what's his name? Wyatt Earp? No, not Wyatt Earp. Um, frick, dead man's hand guy. Uh, Buffalo Bill Buffalo Cody. Buffalo Bill Cody. That's who I was thinking of. There you go. I um, didn't watch Deadwood. Oh, he shoots a giant Ashley. statue of him just right over there, I know that's Steven. why I felt really bad about for blanking on it, because I talk about Deadwood a lot, especially when all of those principles were here in, uh, mm. those characters at least were here in uh, Hayes uh, just before that. In fact, if I remember correctly, um, in the story, in the real life story, Cody was here in Hayes just before he went up to Deadwood, and the altercation with uh, this actor's character in the in the show happened in Abilene and they let him off in the Deadwood series they let him off because it was basically justified that uh that it was a revenge mur a revenge killing and that was okay by a lot of people so it's he needed, he needed killing you yeah Ashley if you I mean here's a show that I think you would really get a big kick out of <laughs> is Deadwood and it's three seasons three <laughs> short seasons unfortunately that HBO decided not to continue, but I think everyone should watch Deadwood, and I think you would get a kick out of it. I really do. And it has I, it has all the justified actors in it yes, that it I like. It's so. got uh, Oliphant and uh, uh, who's the other guy? The uh, Jim Beavers in mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a good show, and I recommend everybody go check that out. Definitely. He was also the dad in Raising Hope, which is funny. Yeah, it's 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 weird, especially because. He, uh, Garrett Dillahunt also has guest starred in a lot of stuff mm -hmm. and like 
it's really crazy the range that they give him from mm-hmm. like mentally challenged really person nice to like uh he's like this like evil evil like uh convict in burn notice mm-hmm. and it's like and anytime i see stuff like that i'm like but that's the dad from raising hope yeah yeah, yeah. and that's <laughs> got um uh it's got god I, I need to bring up the imdb because it's got like everybody who's like super hot right now was in deadwood like 10 years ago and it's funny to see them. Um, what's his name? Ian. Is it Ian? Mc, what's his name? Ian McShane. He Ian plays McShane. A, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He plays a bad guy in that show. Is wonderful. Um, uh, later on, uh, uh, his competition moves into town, played by another um, well-known actor that people would would uh, pop out of god i just can't remember their names uh, off the top of my head let's see Tim- timothy oliphant excellent ian mcshane molly parker is really hot right now um uh, w- william sanderson let's see i'm trying to find it he's not showing Anna, up here oh Anna powers Gunn. booth powers booth plays uh cy Tolliver. and it's just god dang what a great show i wish they had not canceled that i know they're talking Wasn't about Anna a movie and breaking bad uh could have been I'm, I'm, was, and now that we're talking about Skyler. it, Paul uh, Malcolmson is another one that's really hot right now. Um, gosh, now now that we're talking about it, I'm going to have to go watch this series again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it now during the show. With HBO Now, though, if you're an HBO Now subscriber, it is right there available to you. So something to think about if you're looking for something to fill your hours while you're waiting for Mockingbird to get it greenlit. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Ashley, for that. Um, I'll no go problem. check this out at Amazon. Now, do you have to be an Amazon? Uh, you do have to be an Amazon Prime member. Okay, Amazon Prime member. And is it easy to find? Because that was the other thing that I was a complaint about with Amazon and trying to find their series is that it's not easily searchable. Uh, it is. It's it, Right now, it's on the front page. Like, it pops okay. right up. Okay. Um, so I would I would assume that their original content is probably what's going to pop up first in the search. Okay, excellent. Because they're going to want to pimp it. But right now, you can find it right on the front page. Excellent, excellent. All right, everybody, head over to Majorspoilers.com, and we've got some other reviews and things to think about, including this week's Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Matthew, I said this was the week you got to do it. Oh. All right, so a couple of weeks ago, in fact probably three weeks ago, we were talking about Stephen Amell uh, being on WWE's SummerSlam this past weekend as he was going to take on Stardust. Now, he didn't appear as Green Arrow, but I think he did a pretty darn good job in all the little clips I've seen. He looks like uh, he's got some great athleticism and could uh, handle his own if he ever decided to drop the uh, the Arrow tag and, and go WWE full-time. His ring entrance was really impressive. I mean, there are did he like jump totally wrestlers. over the ropes? All th- okay. He leapt to the top rope and then kind of springboarded off the rope. Ah, uh, okay. There, I mean, there are guys who can't do that who are professional wrestlers. So, I, I mean, was, he's clearly got some skills. I was mighty impressed by that. And then there's another clip that uh, WWE uh, tweeted out that shows him leaping yeah. off the top and uh, yep. crashing. An in. elbow. Yeah, elbow Kind slam. of an elbow drop sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was mighty impressed by this. Now, obviously, um, Stardust did win. And actually, wasn't it... Um, no, Stardust lost. Oh, Stardust lost, but it was yeah. uh, Neville who took down Red Arrow, his, his partner there. Adrian Neville, mm-hmm. who, is, who was his tag team partner, defeated Stardust's tag team partner, Wade Barrett. Ah, okay. 
So whatever beef is up there between uh, Green Arrow and Stardust is technically still an unresolved issue. Because it was a split, because, then, right? Right. The other guys got their revenge. And, mm. you know, Wade, Wade Barrett right now is kind of getting beaten like the proverbial government mule. He does not get a lot of respect right now. But, yes, Adrian it, Neville, who was the tag team partner of Green Arrow, actually took the win. So, you know, it looked like a lot of fun. And hopefully it brought a lot of people who are into the Arrow television show over into WWE. And maybe people will stick around and watch some WWE stuff. But it brings up an interesting question. Stardust and, and wrestlers in general, you know, with the costumes and the shtick and the gimmick and all that stuff, seem to make great comic book heroes or foils. Should Stardust then appear on Arrow as either a good guy or the villain of the week? Rodrigo? Ooh, that is... It's either heck yes or aw hell no. I Well, if those are the two options, I'm going to go with... Oh, hell no. How come? Uh, largely because I don't want to see the CW and Warner Brothers and by extension DC Comics have to deal with the repercussions of getting involved in a Vince McMahon mm. uh, joint. Mm-hmm. Like, Because it's one thing if your guy appears on his stuff, but the moment you bring one of his guys into your stuff, yeah. that's going to be litigation for the rest of eternity. Mm, okay. So I would I would say, unless you want that episode to then disappear from the series <laughs> in perpetuity because of legal reasons, I would I would actually say probably not for the for the sake of the fans. I went with aw heck yes because I just think that if you were looking for a villain of the week and you were looking for kind of a quote unquote follow up match, this would be a great way to kind of do that on the other show. I mean, we were talking crossovers and spinoffs uh, earlier. Oftentimes, it was that exchange where, hey, CSI Miami, if you're going to go out to Las Vegas, then the Las Vegas guys have to come to Miami. And I kind of feel like that would kind of work here. I don't know the story, although, you know, looking at Stardust's costume in this picture, man, talk about a uh, trippy version of Booster Gold. Um, That would would be interesting. His usual attire looks like the Will Payton Starman. Yeah. Ashley, what are your thoughts on this? Did you watch it? I didn't watch it, and I said that on the internet, and someone on Twitter told me to kill myself. What? So, God damn yeah. the internet. <laughs> Knock it they off. It was a fake, they said it was a fake geek girl. Um, Knock it off, internet. My, my answer to this is, is very selfish. Um, as an actor, as someone whose job that is, um, I don't want athletes and wrestlers taking jobs away from actors. Um, Arrow and Flash have used some wrestlers before, like with the Girder character. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, it was too limited success. Um, so from a purely selfish standpoint, n- heck no. <laughs> All right. And Matthew. Well, here's the thing. Um, the specific text of the question of the day is not the question that I answered. Because well, the question how about of the day specifically qu- says, how about you answer should the poll Stardust of the appear on Arrow? Yes. I already answered the question. I do not believe that Stardust should appear on Arrow. However... Cody Garrett Runnels, the son of Virgil Runnels, is a pretty talented sort of kind of acting presence. I don't know if he's done any like heavy TV work, but he's he's good and he changes his gimmick. He changes his delivery. He changes interaction. So if Cody Runnels was to appear as a villain on Arrow in, you know, a, a villain of the week kind of way, 
I don't think I'd be too upset, mostly because he's not a guy that I would say is going to be terrible. Uh, you remember when Mick Foley appeared as Mick Foley on Boy Meets World? It was kind of wonderful. Uh, I believe we're expecting to see Edge, Adam uh, Copeland, on the next episode or the next season of Flash appearing as Adam Smasher. I don't have a problem with those actors, performers, whatever you want to call them, crossing over. I think that Stardust appearing on Arrow, which is, you know, not the way I read the question. No, but Cody, yeah, I think Cody would be good in some role. Cool. All right. Listeners, you head over to Major Spoilers. You cast your vote in the poll of the week, and maybe you have an interesting comment. Like Matt says, wrestling, blah. I voted no, mainly because (laughs) wrestling, blah. But really, I'm indifferent. Wrestlers are great for the athletic presence that they bring into the action movie series, but some of them can't really act all that well. Anybody here watch The Rock do uh, ballers this season for the first season? No. I thought he did a pretty good job. No. I saw him sing Taylor Swift. Yeah, he did that too. I thought he did a really good job. The Rock is, in fact, the most electrifying presence in entertainment. I so it's think so. you know it's you can't you can't go by The Rock in either direction, right? Right. Dwayne yeah. Johnson is just mm-hmm. all over the, the place, Rock and he's the super great. That yeah. improves the he, rule. he really is. Does he and still go by The Rock, or does he just go by Dwayne Johnson? He, he goes. I think officially he goes by Dwayne Johnson, but he doesn't get in anybody's face for calling him The Rock. Okay. The Dwayne that, The Rock Johnson. Yeah. The way the way that uh, Will Smith might have a bunch of lawyers like descend from a helicopter if you call him the fresh prince to his face mm. no but i mean that you know um sometimes when you leave wrestling you no longer can use your wrestling name and so i didn't know i know originally when he came on the scene in movies he was promoted as the rock yeah. uh but then they of course they had that movie called the rock and that confused everybody <laughs> and then so then i noticed he started going by dwayne johnson and i forget in in uh Ballers, he goes by Dwayne Johnson, yeah. but I don't remember mm-hmm. if in Fast and the Furious he was Dwayne no, the Rock no, Johnson no. or just Dwayne he was Johnson. Dwayne. Okay. Yeah. He was Dwayne in that. And, you know, that's the thing. There are actors who we don't realize used to be wrestlers, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, there Andre are the a Giant. lot of... Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. He did, nobody realizes he used to be a wrestler. Uh, Hulk Hogan, <laughs> nobody realizes he used to be a wrestler. Kevin Nash was in the Magic Mike movies. Uh, yeah. He's mm-hmm. the tall guy in the back who yep. never really does anything. <laughs> Can't dance very well. <laughs> uh, really. uh, Luca Brasi from yeah. The Godfather yeah. used to wrestle. Thunder Howell you know, says, sure, even if they give him a small role like a bodyguard or a bouncer or something, it would be a good nod to their cross promotion. And who knows, maybe the uh, man behind the glitter gold paint has an actor buried underneath all that muscles. We are all surprised by other wrestlers in their movies, uh, moves into acting, maybe we'll be surprised again. Tor Johnson. Former professional wrestler. Die for go to bed. Die for go to bed. That's my, that's my, so if anybody is wondering why Steven signs off his night with time for go to bed, that is Tor Johnson, the great Tor Johnson. Now, some people will tell you that Tiny Lister is a wrestler who became an actor. That is false. Tiny Lister is an actor who played a wrestler, did a wrestling appearance, and is now forever the actor who used to be a wrestler, even though he was never a wrestler, he just played a wrestler. And so, yeah. Didn't, just, uh, well, didn't China so do some movies? Yeah, China. She's China done some movies. China did, did some movies. I, yeah. I In green paint, know. which rubs off pretty easily, apparently. Oh, dear. Uh, hey, I finally saw the movie The Wrestler. Was it good? That's uh, a I, great movie. I enjoyed Love. it more than I thought I would. And, um, and it, was, it was good. I think people should check it out. The thing that's really great about The Wrestler is if you talk to, first of all, all the guys in that who weren't Mickey Rourke mm-hmm. 
are in fact wrestlers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they will tell you that that's very representative of the interactions and the lives that that they've had, which I think mm-hmm. is fun. Yeah, that's that's that, the part about the story that I like the most is that 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 final match where he's wrestling the Ayatollah. Mm-hmm. That's Ernest the Cat Miller, who was famous for coming out to the ring and dancing like James Brown to a song called "Somebody Call My Mama." Excellent. And then getting knocked down in like 30 seconds. It's, it's a it's a shtick. You, you know, have- if you wanted to hear James Brown's original song, you could go buy that from Amazon. But yes. the best experience of listening to that song will only come if you buy a pair of tweaked audio headphones from our friends over at tweakedaudio.com. Lots wow. of different styles, lots of different uh, colors. I always, always, always recommend getting the one with the microphone built in so that you can plug it into your iPhone or your Android device and have conversations when people call. Excellent, excellent choice. Uh, I'm going to talk and see if we can't get some more uh, things to give away in the near future. But uh, if you would like to get one right now, head over to tweakedaudio.com and enter the checkout code MAJOR, M-A-J-O-R. Enter the checkout code MAJOR, and you're going to get 33.33 with a line over the top of it (gasps) off your price. That's how great these people are over at tweakedaudio.com. We love them, and we thank them for their support of this show. You know who else we thank for the support of this show, Rodrigo? Who do we think? Major spoilers, VIPs. What's VIP stand for, Ashley? Very important person. Why are these people so important to us, Matthew? Because they keep the lights on and we love them and support and junk. And we want you to be one of those people who support our stuff and junk <laughs> by becoming a major VIP. <laughs> Point your browser to members.majorspoilers.com. Uh, use the extra support is what I'm saying. Hey, listen, a small contribution. There's somebody, somebody really nice today. I fr- let me see if I can find his name over here on, on Twitter. Uh, let's see. There's a question for the show. Jazz hands. Oh, man, I may, it may have already been buried in my feed. But uh, someone was like, hey, listen, if you got a few bucks to spare, go and support Major Spoilers for all the entertainment that they that they give us. And I really thank you for those kinds of remarks and words. I want and uh, I love everybody who goes out and shares that with the rest of the world and trying to get more VIPs. Remember, the more VIPs that we have, the more we can do. And that means a bigger benefit for you. And if you are a, a VIP or you're considering becoming a VIP, you have access to a whole bunch of other stuff over at members.majorspoilers.com, including the upcoming season two of Flashback, the Flashback. Uh, Flash fan podcast that Matthew I'm so excited about the season two of the Flashback. I cannot wait either. It's going to be a Flash, right? And he's going to be like, ooh, I'm Flash. And I'm and back. He's go, <laughs> Hence the name Flashback. Awesome. Yes. My name is Barry Allen. This season, we're going to join Jesse Quick, wait. and we're going to have Jake Garrick, and we're going to have Wally West be on the show, the and the Tornado Twins. My name is Barry Allen. What's, what are the uh, the uh, the Russian, uh, what's the Russian speedsters? Red the Red Trinity they're, are going to no, be on the show? They're not going to do the Red Trinity. They're I, not going to do the Blue ten, Trinity. $10. They're not going to do the Speed Demon. Oh, yes. I bet you, uh, what's his name? They're Garner Fox. Do- they're not going to the do show. the Tornado yeah. Twins. Oh, Max they'll Mercury. definitely do the Tornado Twins. They're not going to do and Max Mercury. Mercury. Max Mercury. Or I guarantee you. They're going to do Wally West. That's the most yes, important Wally thing. Yes, Wally West is coming up. We know that. Jesse Quick is coming up. We know that. We know Jay Garrick is coming up. So they're they're unveiling a whole bunch of speedsters. XS. XS would be awesome to add into the show. Are you listening they're to CW and Greg Berlanti Productions? They're not going to do XS. They should do XS. They should do XS. It sounds like you know it's so much fun. You know what's You know what's fun? It's so much fun playing these kind of games. Uh, as we try to find out who would be good for a show and who would win in a fight and all these kind of cool things. Gamification has become a huge deal in 
well, we talked about it last week just briefly, that um, since about 2010, gamification has become one of the most important aspects of business. And it's been a lot of things that I've been thinking a lot about over the last probably year or so. Um, but it, it really came back to head with our conversation last week about turning exercise into games. And I want you guys to check out this, uh, this interview that I did with uh, Roger Altizer, Altizer, who is at the University of Utah. He's the head of their of their uh, uh, entertainment arts and engineering program. And uh, take a listen and, and see what you think. Joining me today is Roger Altizer from the University of Utah. He's the associate director of the entertainment arts engineering program. And we're going to talk gamification. Roger, thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, I think a lot of our listeners probably understand some of the basic concepts of what gamification is, but for everyone, what is gamification? Certainly, gamification has become really popular in the past few years. Um, there was a really popular TED Talk by Jane McGonigal and a lot of books and articles. But at its core, the idea of gamification is you can get people to engage in activities or engage in activities more if you turn it into a game or layer a game on top of it. And what kind of prompted this conversation with, with you was our conversation last week where NerdStrong Jim takes the idea of gamification and exercise, mashes them together to get people really interested and jazzed about going to the gym and doing exercises that they might normally find very boring. And so that is a, is a really typical strategy. So everything from um, getting people to be more productive auto workers on the assembly line to getting kids to do their homework, people are trying to figure out ways to layer games on top of it. And if you think about it, it's not a new concept. I mean, when we were in elementary school, uh, your teacher might put a progress chart up and make it like a little race, right? And mm -hmm. so the first person to the finish line who had done the most homework, for example. So the idea of making games to motivate people to do things um, has been around for a little while. But it doesn't seem like, or I guess I should say it seems to have peaked once the mobile app developers got their their hands on the idea and we started finding these check-in type programs where you check in and you get badges for how many check-ins you've done or some of the mobile apps today where uh, you uh, get a badge every time you do 10 miles or something like that. That's correct. I mean, I think that um, there have been some strategies that have been successful and many that have not. Um, and people have sort of gotten sick of this thing called the badgeification, right? Mm -hmm. That everyone creates a system of badges or little stickers or awards. But then at the end of the day, you say, oh, wow, so Visa has given me these badges and my work has given me these badges. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm just not a Boy Scout anymore. I don't care if I collect 40 different badges from 40 different places. So that's not a good thing to be doing anymore? I mean, I still see a lot of websites that incorporate that, that idea of doing these things earns you a rank or a badge with that site. It works great if you already care about the community. Mm, so if okay. you think about it, for example, if, you, if you're a Boy Scout and you're invested in being a Boy Scout, earning your next badge progresses you in being a Boy Scout. So you see this a lot in video games with like achievements and mm -hmm. trophies, mm -hmm. but they only matter because you already care about the game. I see. So if there's a game that you don't care about, like the, you know someone's trying to get you to play a really bad game, you don't care if you unlock an achievement, but if you're playing a game that you love, let's say you're really into Fallout or you're really into Dark Souls or right. whatever it is you're into, right. you're, you're all about those trophies, right? Because you already care about it. I see. I see. So then what are the, I mean, what are the positives that, that companies and organizations are trying to get out of gamification and, and some of the things that, that you teach about it at uh, Utah? What are, what are some positive yeah. things that come out of this? 
Well, I think the the best thing that's come out of it is um, all the successes and all the failures and all the conversations have really allowed us to think more deeply about this and what makes this more interesting and come up with some ideas that really work and some ideas that don't, right? And so what, what we know that doesn't work is this notion, I mean, you've heard lots of people heard, talk about it the first time I've heard someone talk about it was a, a game scholar named Ian Bogust. And this idea of, of chocolate-covered broccoli, right? Mm, mm-hmm. That you can't make kids eat their broccoli by pouring chocolate sauce on top of right, it, right? right. It just, it, it's not the great taste that goes great together. Yeah. Um, and just because you love chocolate sauce, it's not going to solve that problem for you. And the same thing is true of, um, you know, if you say, um, taking out the garbage, I'm going to give you a high five. That mm-hmm. might work in the short term because it's novel and, you know, your parents haven't given you a high five for taking out the garbage before. But come week three, you're like, I could give a rat's about that high five, right? right. I'm just not into – I just don't care about that anymore. So what we've realized is that the, the real secret sauce for gamification is if you can actually turn the activity into meaningful play, right? Mm-hmm. What, what happens, awards in game – Oops, I think earn we... that reward. Mm-hmm. Oh, we... Sorry, did I lose you? Yeah, we lost you just for a minute. If you could start over with that idea. Of course, yeah. So rewards in games are usually the result of good play, but mm-hmm. the play is an important part of it. So if you can figure out a way, if we think about working out, um, sports, you frequently are working out when you're doing sports. And so that's an added benefit, right? So right. when somebody plays basketball, they're playing this game of basketball, but they're also getting exercise out of it, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it t- it's, it's more difficult to design things this way, certainly. But if you can design it so the play is actually part of the core activity, then the rewards are highly motivating, right? And, and we see real progress as a result. Okay, so can can you give me an example beyond like the video game concept um, with the with the achievements there, or like we've talked with exercise? What are some things that you're seeing right now that are really really working in business as far as gamification goes? Certainly. So anything that builds up community, where it's not just you against a um, a system. Mm-hmm. So anything that involves like you and other people, and there's a scarcity of awards that someone's going to get versus someone else, there's always a particular player type, a uh, competitive player type that will take that bait, right? Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter what it is. And so we've seen this, like uh, the silly plastic trophy or the trip to Hawaii. If you and I are both salespeople and I can earn points to get that thing and you don't get that thing, that's actually going to work for a fairly large slice of people, I, right? I f- there's, a, there's a competitive nature. Yeah, I find that really fascinating, though, because while it does create uh, this sense of co- uh, competition and we're making a game out, out of it, doesn't it also create growing animosity inside of a workplace of it's me against him and, and I'm going to do everything I can to quote unquote, screw that guy over. Of course, especially if the game isn't designed well. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is where game designers come into play. Right. Mm-hmm. So if the game is a game like, um, like nobody ever finishes the game of Monopoly because by the end, someone is just a runaway winner and you're just sitting there getting beat up the whole time. Right. Right. And so nobody enjoys doing that. And the same is true of a point system. If I feel that Johnny just wins every week, right. Or worse yet, it's a contest that takes a year Mm -hmm. and by month three, I just know this guy's run away with it. Right. I'm actually demotivated. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I can care about the contest, the contest seems fair, and I always feel like I'm in it, that I've got a shot at it. 
I actually feel good about winning and I might help other people win. Right. So if I go, Oh wow, you know, Sarah's doing really well this week. Um, it looks like she's got a real shot at it. You know, I'm going to shove some contacts her way and help her out. She hasn't won yet. Mm -hmm. You can actually build camaraderie, but that takes making it a team effort. It takes really good balancing and it takes, you know, making it so you believe that you've got a shot at this thing and want to help other people succeed at it. And that's just good design. Yeah. Well, but I guess that's part of the problem, too, is uh, the idea of game design. It's been around, but a lot of people haven't really thought about it as how do I incorporate it into my my business? So while someone at IBM or uh, someone at uh, Chase Manhattan Bank may have game developers on staff to kind of figure out ways to motivate their customers, there are smaller businesses that could use gamification that may not have thought about going out and finding a game designer. Right, going out and finding a game designer, or there needs to be some turnkey solutions that they can pick up right. and utilize themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Just like you didn't have to invent your actuarial method, right? right. Um, the way of doing books in your business, someone taught you that, and you figured it out, and now you can do it in your small business, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll get to that point with gamification eventually. Um, the problem is is that I think that a lot of people have turned on the term gamification um, because there have been so many bad examples of it, right? right. Um, websites that are trying to get you to earn trophies or things that aren't inherently um, game-like that you're just kind of dropping trophies and achievements on people mm-hmm. um, have sort of turned people off to it a little bit. But I do think this notion of can you incorporate play into more aspects of your life um, is important. And that, that's a key element, because when we think about work, work frequently is executing something in a very specific manner. Right. But play isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Play is you have this goal, and you might have some best practices, but you get to play around with it, try new things out, and you might fail, and that's okay. So some people are taking this as deeply as thinking about, all right, in my workplace, if I allow my employees to be creative in how they solve problems, I might get novel solutions, I might get failures, but overall I'm going to get a better quality of product out of this, right? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that doesn't, that doesn't work if you're saying we need to make this widget the same way, you know, 100 times a week. But in some jobs where it's, you know, um, there's a bit more interpretation involved, uh, you know, less rules and a little bit less paperwork allow people to play with the job and you'll be more successful at it. So you bring that up and you are a, uh, you work at a university where uh, me also coming from that environment, know all about paperwork and extra, you know, extra activities. Oh and man, certain I ways live of doing in the things. world of bureaucracy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so how, how do you, as being the, the associate director of your program and the director of the uh, digital medicine program, how do you, how do you use gamification then in your own workplace to make it a fun environment for everyone to be there every day instead of, oh, God, here comes another meeting. Well, you know, and, and that's actually a really good point. I mean, I think that, um, so first thing is, um, if you think about a game, there are lots of elements to it. Mm-hmm. And one of it, of course, is the environment of the game. Mm-hmm. So things like, um, I'm because of my job, I'm lucky enough to be able to say, show up in a meeting where everyone else is in a suit and I show up into the clubs, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't do it out of disrespect, I do it because I'm trying to game that environment, right? I'm trying to break the normal conversation sure. and say, hey, let's make it a little a little bit different up here to disrupt it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been asked to do that, right? Luckily, I'm, I'm, I've been empowered by some leadership at the university who say things like, all right, up here in medicine, we really want you to challenge the culture up here. So if you could make sure that your students 
stay creative and or weird and or loud, we would appreciate it, right? <laughs> yeah. And so the, the, the kind of understand that the, the disruption can lead to creative problem solving, right? And so that's a good thing. The other thing is, is we're always willing to try new things in meetings. So I've been over the past three years, we've probably changed the rules about how we have meetings, how often we have meetings, the length of meetings on a regular basis within our department because we're a games department. Mm -hmm. So there's this thing that designers do, which is tuning, right? That sometimes the rule isn't quite working until you got to play with it until it keeps, until it works for right, you. Right. And so we do that, right? So having a meeting because that's the way you're supposed to have a meeting. That's the idea of play. Let that go. They're supposed to do it a certain way. If you can let that go and allow yourself to try to find creative solutions to problems, even dull things like meetings, right? We've done things like trying to get rid of titles or we've done things like uh, completely restructuring the way we do meetings and putting up silly little props, like uh, almost like a Lord of the Flies. Someone has a conch, right? And you pass it around, those kind of things, right? Yeah. Um, it allows you to, to play with those ideas and it allows other people to say, oh, I've got an idea for how we can run this meeting and then come up with a solution as well. Excellent. And has it worked well for you? Obviously it has. Well, I think it's worked well for our culture. I don't know that we've solved every problem, but it certainly is empowering, right? So we have a, uh, in our little work group, everyone feels pretty strong that they can make suggestions and change the way things are done or can we try this thing out this time? And that's normally not true in an organization, right? Normally, when you set up how meetings are done, they're done that way until a manager or a consultant tells you to do it another way, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, um, but in our organization, people feel pretty free, uh, you know, and like beer, we're talking about, oh, my gosh, here we go again. We're just going to make up how we do this. Right. And it, it's a joke, but it's actually really empowering, and people like it. We and do it with our students as well. But have you broken that out of your department and into other departments of the university or other colleges of the university, like a, a college of business or something like that? Yeah, we're sure trying. So um, everyone is really interested in this space. So, for mm -hmm. example, at the University of Utah, um, the business school has started a games for health competition. Mm -hmm. um, and people love these competitions and games. And what's nice about it is, uh, like, for example, the games for health competition, um, they run it. I mean, it's their show. But they're frequently coming to us saying, well, how do we change it this year and how do we make it better and we're always trying to inject more play into it, um, whether it's play or hacker culture or any kind of culture that allows you to be more free in the way you tackle a problem. Mm -hmm. And they seem to be all ears right now. I think they're pretty interested in it. I mean, they'll use different terms. They'll use terms like disruption and innovation. Right. But what they're really looking for is the same kind of thing. How do you empower people to be creative in solving problems? So then would you consider, I mean, you're talking about disruption and creative disruption, I think, is is always a good thing, uh, especially when it leads to some positive outcomes. And maybe even just totally. having you having you on this show where we're normally talking about comic books and just pop culture -y things, you know, having this interview yeah. in there is a little bit of a change, but it seems like, and the feedback that I've gotten from our listeners is they like it when we put something totally different into the show that they weren't expecting. Right. And it, because when you get something really interesting, it allows you to think about what you do in a different way. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about like um, when we talk about being creative or when we're like, I've got friends who study transmedia and things like that. Mm -hmm. Transmedia changed in the face of comic books. Mm -hmm. Right. But that concept came out of, you know, different areas that weren't initially related to comic books. But now, you know, that your con the comic book story lives 
when we admitted that comic book stories don't just live on the page, Mm -hmm. that they live in the imagination and therefore they work in movies and they work in toys and they work and they work on cars when you paint your car to look like the Incredible Hulk, right? (laughs) And then when they work on tattoos Mm -hmm. and when they work like whatever you want, right? And the idea that who owns that story when companies were a little bit less clenchy about that, Mm -hmm. right? And saying that I need to control the way these characters are executed over time and everywhere um, and made it a little bit more free. You know, those kind of concepts made this a richer world for everybody, right? Well, it seems um, like... And the same is true of play. Yeah, I was going to say, well, it seems like Lucasfilm kind of embraced that idea when they created this idea of letting f- fans go out and create fan films without going out and, and suing them into oblivion or giving them takedown notices left right. and right. But there are other companies that, when it comes to their properties like that, the minute that a, a fan film starts to become a little bit of popular that's when the the publisher steps in and says, oh, no, we got to put a stop to that. And that seems kind of counterproductive oh, yeah. to this idea of taking that IP. And even if you are letting people put their spin on it, it's still increasing the awareness and the popularity of that of that property. Oh, certainly. And so and, and this can actually relate to our gamification talk. So if you think about um, games, right, and people mm-hmm. mod games all the time to make them into different games. Right. Uh, my, my dissertation back in the day was on a mod called uh, Chrono Trigger Crimson Echoes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Chrono Trigger was a really popular game, right? A lot of mm-hmm. people played that game. Um, and I think you can even play it on iOS now. <laughs> um, and so this group had spent like three years making a Chrono Trigger um, sequel. Mm-hmm. They had all the original code and all the original art, and they made new levels, new story, were very public about it, had asked Square Enix for permission and never heard back. The day before release, they get a cease and desist letter from Square Enix. Ugh. Right? Three years of public development, and then they got shut down. Right. And it totally, um, you know, it totally not only hurt these people that were developing it, but the fans are upset, and mm-hmm. people are now mad at companies and lawyers, and it caused, you know, a bit of a hoopla, right? People are kind of upset about this kind of thing. And what we realize is, it's how do you get there? Well, it's because the people who are controlling the IP aren't the people that are creating it, right? Right. Square Enix has hired a team of lawyers to say, well, do the legal stuff. Mm-hmm. And those lawyers are trying to bill their billable hours. So they're sending cease and desist letters to whoever they can, right? Mm-hmm. To get those billable hours out. And that's where talking about this kind of stuff matters, right? That understanding, letting people play with your property, like the business model is, I make a thing, I sell a thing, I need to control that pipeline. Right. But when they thought that fans could play with these things, right, mm-hmm. make new games, it didn't actually hurt their business, it helped their business. Right. Now, convincing every business of that is going to be difficult. And the same is true with gamification, right? Convincing them that, look, it's more than badges. You can break down that work-play barrier. Mm-hmm. You can let people play at work. And you see companies that are more playful, like, you know, companies that are less concerned about when you come into work or companies like Google that'll say 20% just to follow your passion project, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So there are companies that are sort of saying, maybe we actually get something out of this playfulness, right? Um, It's not just about um, creating incentive programs to keep workers at their desk and working hard. Maybe we don't care as much about what they do at their desk as long as they're doing something good for us, right? Right. Some businesses are adopting this, but it's going to take some time. What percentage of businesses do you think have currently adopted gamification? Oh, I'd say, uh, you know, all the majors have certainly looked at it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's no no financial company in the world that hasn't looked at gamification as a way of saying, 
um, how do I get people to pay their bills on time or slightly early or put more money in their savings accounts so we can collect interest on it, right? And things right, like that. Right. Um, but largely those have, you know, it was, the, there was sort of a gold rush of gamification and all these consultants spun up and all these services spun up and they were mostly based around badges and incentive systems. Mm-hmm. And when you get underneath those, those don't look that much different than programs we saw in the 80s, right? Where right. if you worked at a company long enough, you would earn a gold watch or mm-hmm. a trip to Hawaii or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea is work to earn. And then you can either earn money or you can earn prizes and money, right? And right. it's just kind of a twist on that way of thinking. I see. So we'll see if people are willing to sort of go deeper with it. And we hope that they are. Um, we certainly know that the entertainment industry is really interested in this, right? Like, how do you make going to Disneyland not just an experience but a game, mm-hmm. right? And so can we make going around the park less about discrete experiences and more like it's playful that you're doing a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And they do that with things like, you know, uh, dressing up, encouraging people to cosplay at Disney, right? Right. Or uh, helping people become princesses or, or Disney characters or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you feel like you're part of the experience as opposed to a consumer mm-hmm. of the experience, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, there, there are a lot of people interested in this. And I think that, um, the rise, the meteoric rise of games in the last, you know, 15 years um, is really going to make more people kind of pause and be interested in games and how we can make it happen. Just like the rise of film said, we can use videos to educate people in, on their jobs, right? Right. Uh, the rise of games is going to say, hey, look, can we do playful things? Mm-hmm. And maybe, and that's the low-hanging fruit, honestly, is games are really good at teaching people things. Mm-hmm. So like Cold Stone Creamery realized rather than having kids watch a video about how to scoop mixins into the ice cream, that they actually got uh, better trained workers by letting them play a Cold Stone Creamery game that they created. Oh, cool. It, it seems like gamification and is... So, you know, it seems like gamification is very closely tied to participatory culture in, in the fan film area, um, where oh, it's I would, the customer I would, I think who's, there's a lot of that culture, for sure. Yeah, it's just feeding right back into that. Could you think of, and I, this, I know this is kind of uh, uh, throwing it at you right now, but it seems like comic book stores are constantly having, and in smaller comic book stores, I'm not saying all of them, are having problems attracting people into their store to buy comics or at least be aware that the comic book store exists. What might be something that you might think of off the top of your head a store could try to gamify the experience for people coming in? Oh, certainly. I mean, I think it's a good question. I mean, I, I certainly grew up with, uh, with my, you know, my comic book shop was, you know, I had a, a sitting account there and I would pick up mm-hmm. my books on a weekly or biweekly basis there. Right. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and, and it certainly was a big part of my childhood and they are not as popular as they used to be. Right. We've mm-hmm. seen, um, we've seen a lot of things sort of rock that retail world for entertainment. But one thing, if you think about it, that participate, that participation, as well as some sense of accomplishment in the community. So maybe they do things like, um, learning to write comic books, mm-hmm. bringing someone in to help you draw comic books, participating in creating characters or cosplay contests. Like if you look at the rise of um, comic cons, for example, right? Where like Salt Lake has a comic con that's only a few years old and we get a hundred thousand people coming to this comic con. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so you can imagine the comic book shops owner saying, why would you pay a hundred dollars to go to comic con and you won't come to my shop for free? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is because at Comic-Con, you're participating and you're touching. 
Right. Right. You're, you're engaged with it. It's not just about hearing Patrick Stewart speak or whatever. It's you get dressed up and there are activities and things like that to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if the comic book shop became less of, well, it, it, like its business model still needs to be moving products through a cash register. Right. Right. But if you thought about services that comic books could offer, um, whether from reading groups to, um, whoever draws the best Hulk will become a poster in our, in our shop, mm-hmm. whatever, right? Things that people can engage and participate with beyond just um, what normally happens at comic book shops, which is you get to talk to a delightful and knowledgeable owner who can recommend things to you or occasionally have, you know, fun nerd chat with you about, oh, yeah, remember when that happened and that thing? You're like, oh, yeah, and, you know, you try and outdo each other with your comic book knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are there ways to engage with the material? And it's such rich material, right? right. The comic book shops are just full of all those great ideas and great characters. And so anything you can do to let people play with it and or participate with it, um, I think would encourage them. Excellent. Well, we're almost out of time here, and I want to thank you for, for your time today. But I want to really quickly, why don't you talk a little bit about the games program there at the University of, of Utah? Because I, I know a couple of people who uh, work there, and it seems like you have a fantastic uh, program going on there. Oh, yeah, for sure. So um, our program is the number one program in the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're the number one undergraduate program and the number two graduate program in the nation. And we have kids from all over the world coming to Utah. Um, to learn about making games and trying to launch careers in the games industry or in serious games and making medical games and apps. Um, and so it's, a, it's kind of a unique program. It's a lot of fun. Um, Corinne Lewis is our mm-hmm. program manager. She's involved in podcasting and stuff and into the community, right? right. And we've got a lot of people who have been either former game developers who are teaching for us. And about a third of our faculty or a third of the people teaching with us are current game developers, and so that's sort of our, our key to success is we say we've got professors teaching these deep, thoughtful classes, industry professionals teaching the skills and how to act like a professional. And then about a third of our classes are student driven by projects. So they all graduate with a published game. Excellent. And so rather than being a potential game developer, when they get out, they're a game developer. Excellent. Uh, and that's about- what I would encourage people to really do. Like if there's a, if there's a theme to our talk, it's play, right? Right. And you can get out there and make games today. There are all sorts of great tutorials on it. And if you're interested in starting a career or going to school, that's the best way to do it. Just get out there and start making some games. Well, Dr. Altizer, I want to thank you so much for taking your time today because I know it's right at the beginning of the semester for many people, and I'm sure you're swamped <laughs> with, uh, with so many things going on. So I do want to thank you again for that. Well, it was a lovely break, so I sure appreciate being on the show. Sure, no problem. And maybe we'll have you uh, back again, and we'll talk more about games and video games and all sorts of things. Uh, Thank you so much, and have a great semester. Yeah, anytime. It'd be a pleasure. Yep. Hey, you too. Take care. All right. Thank you so much. Go check out the University of Utah. It's a great place. I know a lot of people who go there and a lot of people who work there. And uh, good times all around. They have the largest gaming program in the United States. So if you're into video games, you want to learn how to do video games, head over to University of Utah. He does bring up some interesting things, and as we wrap up today, I want, I want to get some feedback from you guys. For a couple of years now, probably since about 2011, 2012, I've been wanting to introduce some kind of gamification aspect into the Major Spoilers website. But as we heard in the conversation, badges don't do it for people. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, that doesn't uh, move the needle, as they say. <laughs> um, is gamification a cool thing to do or try to incorporate into the Major Spoilers website, do you think? People who earn, I mean, we did this for a while when we had the forums, you would get a title based on how many comments right, how many that you, you had. Yeah. Um, does, does that kind of thing work? 
it it works if it's implemented properly and if there is an actual kind of uh kind of complexity and accomplishment mm-hmm. to it right mm-hmm. um simply liking lots of articles is not necessarily and right, getting a badge for right. that mm-hmm. is not necessarily going to get you and you know it kind of weirdly inflates certain things that right. we as a site don't necessarily want right right so i mean i don't i don't have an answer of like what should we do to oh, gamify no, no. the site no, no no but that's the question that i want our listeners right to respond to is if they're interested in some kind of gamification of the site. And if so, how would they do it? I've got a lot of ideas, not saying that we're going to do any of them. I've got a couple of problems with some of the elements that are out there to gamify our site. Most of the things that I'm seeing for people to create gamified sites means that you have to kind of start the site from the beginning that way and not add it on later. But uh, I've got some ideas. I think, I think gamification is a lot like motivational speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's no in-between. You don't ever have a so-so motivational right. speaker. You either have somebody who gets you out of your chair and really excited about the third quarter, or um, you just see someone super boring that you hate and then make fun of for the rest of the third <laughs> yeah. quarter. Uh, the other aspect that I fu- that was kind of brought up in the conversation was, uh, let's how do we gamify comics? And uh, Roger had a few ideas on how comic book stores could gamify stuff. Do you guys do any kind of uh, contests or stuff at your comic book store, Ashley? Uh, we don't do a ton of them. We'll do, we do a lot of giveaways uh, mm-hmm. when we're having sales or events or signings. But uh, my shop is pretty small. So we don't have room for things like uh, magic necessarily or like tabletop gaming. But mm-hmm. we do have um, we do have events for children and we'll have like drawing classes and we encourage kids to to dress up and to act out as much as possible, you mm-hmm. know, within obviously safety parameters mm-hmm. and good behavior. And do um, they get some so, kind of reward for coming out and doing those kinds of things? Because that's really kind of the heart of the gamification discussion is what, you know, generating a re- reward that is worth the price of admission. Of signing yes, into this we event. either have, we usually either have um, different artists who are available drawing content for them. They're creating content, and we always have um, free and discounted comics that they can go away with. Mm-hmm. Now, Matthew, so I don't yes know, and no. I don't know if your kids are as smart as my kids, but they have got me figured out already. <laughs> when I try to gamify dinner, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, who's going to have a happy plate? The winner gets a prize, and my oldest is like, what a hug? No thanks. and the youngest is like a penny and it's like oh you guys have me figured out so so (laughs) so easily what what do you think matthew have you done some gamification inside your house to make work fun whether it be uh eating all the dinner or taking your shots or cleaning the room or cleaning out the cat's uh, litter box well i can't gamify eating all your dinner because if you dose for dinner you eat the dinner and the only exception is if you're too full, we have to get you replacement carbs for your dinner. So obviously that one isn't necessarily one that we can do. But as far as the cleaning the house, yes, the thing that you get to, though, is especially now that she's 11, the, the attention span is shorter than it used to be. So there were times when we could kind of trick her into, hey, if you clean your room and your room is clean and everybody's happy, then you can, you know, go and have a skating party with your friends or you can go and hang out. You can ride your bike up to your friend's house and hang out all afternoon. So right now it's a little bit more strong arm. Um, You know, if you don't clean your room, we're taking away YouTube. Yeah, that's Uh, the way we've done it too. But, and you know, that is kind of... A game in that there's there's a, a negative 
negative. Well, yeah, I think more of how do you make it fun? How do you make it interesting? And I really love some Mm -hmm. of the comments and conversations that that we had about, you know, taking a boring, quote unquote, boring uh, university meeting and making it more fun. And, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, we talk about disruptive technology, but finding interesting ways of disruption. And as we wrap up today, here's what I'm going to ask you listeners to do. Head over to the Major Spoiler site uh, in the comment section for this uh, post. What I want you to do is think of some ways. How do you gamify comics? I was talking with a Las Vegas uh, person from Las Vegas who is really into uh, odds. He's an I don't say he's an odds maker, but he knows that stuff inside and out. How could we create a game like a fantasy football for comics? How can we do all these other things? I've got a bunch of stuff going on in my head, but I'm always interested for new ideas. And that's what I want to hear from you listeners. Hopefully you learned a little bit of something about gamification in our conversation today. And I hope you enjoyed it. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have uh, Dr. Peter Coogan back on to talk about, um, I forget what he's talking about. I think it's more comics and education, those kinds of things. So that's coming up. But really, guys, I'm sorry, we're out of time this week. I'm, I try to keep these episodes short, and they always run a little bit over. So let's end it there. That's where we'll wrap up this issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you, dear listener, for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Rodrigo. We're going to be back next week to review the Major Spoilers pick of the month, Judge Dread Origins, because you, the listener, demanded it, demanded it, and we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. If I had the x-ray vision of a Superman, I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving, it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.